What's up, people? Welcome back to another episode of El Nino Speaks. Today, the great nuclear caudillo is joining us once again to talk about his time in the Navy, which will be explosive, to say the least. But before we start, how are things going with you, Nuke? Pretty good. Uh, as you can see, I've been working on my channel. I've been causing havoc on Twitter. Just having a good time overall. Oh, yeah. You're definitely cranking out the content on YouTube, which has been absolutely on point. And you've dropped some pretty good threads that have gotten people riled up. So you're shaking things up, man. And I got to give you props on that end. Well, my listeners who have followed uh, my show for some time and have listened to your episodes probably know you more as like the dating advice guy. But you do have an interesting military background that some might not be fully aware of. Could you give a brief overview of your time serving in the military? Yeah, so uh, I joined the military in uh, November of 2013, and I signed a contract for six years uh, as a nuclear electronics technician. So that's the minimum contract you can sign. Unlike other rates in the military where you can sign for two or three years, this one you, you have to sign for six. So uh, the reason for that is because the the schooling, the training to become a reactor operator is very long. It's like a year and a half minimum, sometimes two years, depending on how long it takes to for the next class to fill up. But yeah, uh, that's that's what I did. It's It's a very brutal, rigorous training program, very academic. In the beginning, you go to boot camp, just like everyone else in the Navy. And then um, you go to three schools. Your first school is nuclear A school, where you learn the basics of electricity, electronics, basic, you know, math principles as applied to like electricity and all that stuff. And then you graduate That's six months, you graduate there. And then you, you go across the same building to nuclear power school, where you learn more nuclear theory, uh, radiation, chemistry, basic nuclear concepts, how the plant's laid out. And then once you graduate from there, then you go down the street to where there's two uh, submarines parked outside in, in uh, South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina. And you actually start training on, on, the actual, on an actual reactor on those submarines. And that's for six months. And then you graduate those three schools and then you head out to your first ship. And if you uh, volunteer to be a submarine, then you'll be on a submarine. If you didn't, you'll go on an aircraft carrier. And then... Um, you just get signed to your aircraft carrier. Um, after I got signed to my aircraft carrier, I deployed like six days or four days later. So I didn't even have time to like move to my new station and relax. I had to, I moved and directly packed my things and went on deployment. And then I deployed to the Middle East in Europe. So I went to Dubai a whole bunch of times, Bahrain. We were bombing ISIS at the time. Um, this was 2000 and yeah, 2016. We got back summer of 2016 from deployment, went into a shipyard, and that's when things got a little weird with all the, the wokeness and all that stuff because, you know, there was a Trump election oh. and all that stuff. Yeah. So we did a shipyard availability, meaning that the ship was in, it was in a, a shipyard, which is also pretty brutal for nukes because we have to basically gut a lot of the systems on the ship, including piping, engines, a lot of things. And, you know, we're working around the clock for, for months on end. And um, once once that happened and we were done, we did sea trials where we pushed the ship to its absolute limits. 
And then I deployed two more times. And then I got out uh, in November of 2019. Um, basically, what a nuclear electronics technician does is he is in charge of the the operation of the plant. Basically, you're you're basically controlling uh, reactor power and how much steam is going into the main engines, into the electrical generators and the catapults up top side to launch the planes. But you also do maintenance on on like the more electronic computer things of the uh, you know like uh, computer systems of the reactor, things that keep it safe. And uh, then you train younger guys. Um, a lot of, you do a lot of training and you get trained as well. It's con- it's a constant. There's a lot of uh, um, academic um, things you got to do to maintain your um, proficiency as a reactor operator. And yeah, that, that was my life in the military. That's basically what I did. One thing that has always fascinated me with people that join like certain institutions that are generally like respected by the broader population is that they tend to enter with like a preconceived uh, notion of said institution but then they sometimes, over time, after going through and working in that institution, they sometimes become more nuanced in how they view it, or it's, they dramatically change in their overall view of, like, say, like the military altogether. What was your initial perception of the Navy when you, right before you joined, and did it change once you got out of that branch? My father did 20 years in the Navy, so I kind of had like a more level-headed approach, you know. But my issue was that since nukes, uh, they call us nukes, right? And that's where I get my my first part of my name is nuclear or nuke. I thought I was better than everyone else because it was academically more difficult than like most things in in the whole military. So when I was joining, I was like, yeah, I'm smart. Yeah, I'm, you know. And then having gone through the school and seen people that were like memorizing like almost photographic memory and were way smarter than me. And I kind of struggled in the beginning. It kind of made me humble and, and, and realize that I have to put in the work. I can't just show up here thinking I'm smart, you know, like I got humbled really quick. And then, I, you know, throughout the whole pipeline of, of, of training and all that stuff, I kind of like knew where I was academically and it messed with my confidence a bit. But then when I got to the ship and I started training and, and actually gotten like real pushing the ship to its limits and all that stuff, I became really good at operating. And then I realized like, this wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't been humbled completely. So when I got out of the military, looking back at the way I see the Navy and all that stuff, it's really, um, there's people that say, I only did it for the paycheck. And then there's people I did, uh, you know, that try to like make it all. It's, I love my country, so I serve my country. I'll tell you this, it's both. Like I look at, even though I had a lot of rough days, I look back at my service with a lot of pride. And the fact that I could help people especially in an interface with young guys and lead young guys, whether it be, you know, painting a hallway or taking a reactor critical or, you know, taking the ship to full speed and, you know, in Russia infested waters in the Arctic or something like that. I look back at it with fondness, you know, a lot of bad times, but you know, that's what, that's what makes who I am. And also I, I like the money. So it's both. Just curious. What does like the typical like Navy boot camp training look like? For someone that's just joining. So you fly out to Chicago Hare Airport and then you get picked up on a bus. And then on the bus, you, you know, you get yelled at they, because the purpose of boot camp is to break you down. Yeah. 
And then, you know, later on, they build you up just like any other training program in the world, whether it be martial arts, whether it be um, they're supposed to challenge you and break you down. So you're on the bus, you get off the bus, you get yelled at some more. They take away your phone. They take away, you know, you get your, your uniforms and all that stuff. And then for the next couple, for the next eight to nine weeks, you're just you, you're doing a lot of PT. You're doing a lot of uh, learning about Navy traditions and, um, and customs. You're learning how to everything from learning how to salute correctly to how to uh, talk to leadership and rank and all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, and then you, you're getting punished for doing dumb things and you're learning how to you're learning that you're going to always get punished as a group and not as an individual. Because that's just how the military is. You're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And they also encourage a lot of teamwork, you know, both during evolutions and just outside. So, yeah, it's it's that's what basically boot camp is. And then the final test is basically you go to this giant animatronic ship. I think, and it was designed by like uh, Disney, I think. And then you just all night for like, you know, they, they make you tired on purpose. All night you're doing evolutions like patching pipes. And, uh, you know, emergency situations, um, putting on masks and going through, you know, like uh, dangerous parts of the ship in case, you know, like in wartime. But, yeah, that's that's basically boot camp in a nutshell. And then once you graduate, all your your uh, your drill sergeants, what we call them RDCs, which is like recruit something, I forget. They start treating you with respect right away. The minute you you graduate and you walk down the aisle um, and you hug your parents they start talking to you like you're just a sailor, obviously, you know, like w w with rank appropriate, but that flip and that switch is like what the final thing of boot camp is like now that your leaders yelled at you for so long and you became something, now they're like treating you like appropriately, you know? So it's very interesting. How long does this entire process take in general? About nine weeks. Nine weeks is usually what boot camp is. You know, there's people that stay longer due to medical issues and, you know, there's I, I did eight weeks because my division was around Christmas time, so they wanted to push us out. So I did eight weeks. So mine was a little accelerated, but nine weeks is usually how long it takes. I see. Now to like the topic at hand, because in the last decade, I'd say even longer, but we've seen this accelerate much more over the last decade. We've seen the growth of political correctness just spreading into practically all facets of like U.S. government and broader society. The military has been no exception to this trend. In your time in the Navy, what ways do you see wokeism creep into this institution? So the first time I picked up on wokeism, it was not in boot camp. And both, so we had a, two divisions. One was like a female and one was a male. So we were like co-ed and both people in charge were females and they were, you know, they were tough. They were tough gals. You know, they were like E7s high ranking and they were, you know, I immediately, I respected them because like they were about their job. Like they really did what they were supposed to do as, you know, as an RDC. But when I got to nuke school, um, I started noticing Nukes are like mostly we're all mostly men. It's a very STEM have a uh, very STEM heavy field, right? Nuclear power, so you don't see a lot of females. But if there was females, they got put in. They were like school uh, class president or class leader. They were placed as class leader more often than the boys. And I'm like, how does that work? Because we're like 80, 80 to ninety percent men. But every time there's a girl, she's placed as class leader. 
So that's when I started picking up and I'm like, okay, cool. I get it. Like, whatever. I, I have so much things on my, uh, that I have to take care of that I can't even, you know, but I think the, the tipping point was when they were trying to introduce trans people to oh, the military. God. <laughs> and that conversation was fascinating. And that was around when I got back from my 2016 deployment. That's Trump was already reelected. And um, uh, Secretary Mattis, he's the one that said, hey, we got to start training people on how we're going to integrate trans people. But then it later got, I think, uh, taken back. But man, that conversation was it was uh, it was very interesting. Oh, I could I could imagine. Now, one thing about wokeism I've seen is that it is. It functions as like a ethnic slash racial and even like gender identity spoil system where they're going to try to put as many like diversity quotas and shoehorn in people based on whether like racial or like sexual preference criteria as opposed to merit. And now when you do that, there's going to be a debasement of standards, if you will, Based on your experience in the Navy, have you seen the Navy reduce like its standards for who it, it will accept and also just overall implement like more quotas that fulfill some like woke commissariat's arbitrary policy desires? The thing is with this is the interesting part that the thing is with uh, nuclear power, it's very strict in terms of testing and grading and, uh, you know, because other institutions, you know, they can let people in because, you know, the standards, like, for example, the standards for Harvard are controlled by Harvard. Right. But the standards for nuclear power are controlled by uh, naval reactors, which is a part of the Department of Defense. Right. So there really isn't a way for people to BS their way inside the nuke program and, and pass. But on the on the Navy as a whole. There is a lot of celebrating other cultures and, and all that stuff, which is fine. But there was a lot of emphasis on diversity and celebrating it and all that stuff throughout when I was in the Navy, which didn't bother me because, you know, I was really in my own lane and trying to do my job. But I would say that there was a lot of like, not like inability to accept facts, but like, here's an example I was a fire team leader on the ship, which means like I was, you know, I served, I did firefighting drills as one of my side duties. Um, so, you know, I would be in charge of a firefighting team. Each one of those, all the get up firefighting gear is about 60 pounds, 70 pounds. Right. And then uh, they were trying to get girls to uh, women oh, to join God. the fire team. Right. And, you know, it's hot. You're in the Middle East and you're putting on gloves, you're putting on boots, you're putting on a, a, an SCBA bottle, you're, you know, you're putting on all this gear. And not only that, you have to carry a heavy hose and you got to charge it. And that hose, you know, is, and the also the, the nozzle is like 30 pounds and all that stuff. So there's a lot of physical stress and you're getting yelled at because, you know, it's drills. And guess who, who would be passing out all the time in the, in the ladder wells when it was like hot? first who were the first people to pass uh -huh. out so it's like that's that's the stuff that what happens is they pass out and then they leave from the fire team and then you know i'm getting yelled at i'm getting you know like everything i do i'm being audited and yelled in real time and then i have people on my team that are like passing out um that are female and then i have to be like hey like 
why is she here? You know, can I even <laughs> yeah. ask that? Like, can I even ask that question? Because right now I'm getting nickel and dimed because I don't know how long my second nozzleman has been on air or I don't know where the compartment is, where the fire is at. But my third person on the hose can't stay awake. They should probably not be in, in 70 pound of gears. They're like a 5'3 gal that's like 130 pounds. So it's like, what is going on here? Like, what does that look like to everyone else? You know, is she just here because we want to pretend that there's no differences between men and women? And that's that kind of stuff that over time you start seeing and then you just realize, like, as a guy, you're just going to have to put up with it, you know, yeah. and, and just it's unfair. It doesn't make sense. But you just turn a blind eye and be like, OK, hopefully when things actually go down, I would just look at I would, you know, I have to take control. I'd be like, hey, you're not putting anything on. I can't trust you to stay awake during a life or death situation. Obviously, chances were pretty low, but like still, I can't trust this person to stay awake during a life or death situation. So why would they even be there? No, yeah, yeah. This stuff, I think people tend to us underestimate a lot of like the daily like minutia that goes down in a lot of institutions that are designed to keep us safe or at least keep the lights on in the U.S. And if you start tweaking this stuff with uh, woke hiring decisions and quotas, these things may look small when someone is describing them to you, but when you're like in the trenches actually doing a lot of stuff like this and understanding how the machinery works, any kind of tampering in these processes could be like catastrophic, like totally catastrophic for a country. It's what like separates oftentimes like really civilized nations from total dumpster fires. Like say for example, my homeland of Venezuela where literally a freaking sloth could like slash a power line and then like that uh, an entire city's power system goes out because people freaking have there's just like such mismanagement of stuff and yeah and, that, and this is actually like a, a true story too but i think a lot of this stuff is actually starting to come to the u.s where you're going to see a lot of basic infrastructure not just like the military but also a lot of basic infrastructure at the local level just collapse because of diversity hires and all of this so were there any people that you were working around with that actually got like vocal and started complaining about these changes? Uh, like just po- woke policies in general or just like day to day decisions by local leadership? Woke policies. Oh, woke policies in general. Yes. So when the whole trans uh, people thing got brought up, the people that fought it the hardest and were the most that didn't want it. And we're vocal about it. We're the women. Interesting. Because okay. Yeah. In the military, there's already a, a slight problem with a lot of uh, sexual harassment, men to women. I would say it's overblown, but there's still a, a problem. So now you're you're adding fuel to the fire by letting a biological born male sleep in a compartment full of sixty women, seventy women. You know, like Yo. the, the female <laughs> leadership. Yeah, the female leadership did not want this to go through. They were the ones that fought it the hardest. Us guys, we were just confused. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, okay, like, well, how is this gonna work? Because we really, we didn't really like worry too much about the females. And also, even if there was a female on the male side, like female to or male to female or female to male, and we'd yeah. be staying in our birthing, we most like ninety ninety nine point ninety nine percent of men would just probably not even care. You know, we'd be like, whatever. But like the other side is kind of iffy because you have a 
uh, biological male sleeping with, taking showers with, and adhering to the physical fitness standards of of females, right? So yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the whole like turf phenomenon where the trans exclusionary or radical uh, feminists where there's like so much infighting now because of like this wokeism, it, it's actually kind of like amusing. You just watch from afar with your popcorn in hand as these like two like freaks just like go at it and like attack each other. And it's it's, it's amusing, but it's also like messed up too because it's a sign that like, yeah, your society's in decay when it's like degrading into like the pettiest forms of identity politics, like factionalism. The thing is like, the way I see it, and you know, and I'm I'm using my military time in the military to see it. There's this thing called luxury beliefs, where oh, yes. everyone wants to believe something and enforce something, but they don't. As long as the 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 repercussions of that belief are not at their front doorstep, right? So a lot of women in the military, a lot of them are hardworking, very smart, very competent, and good friends. A lot, I still maintain contact with some of them, but. There was a lot of pushing girls, like, you know, to be firefighters, to be this, to be that. And then, because the only person that has to deal with that is me. You know, I had to be the one to be, you know, to be like, hey, I need a replacement because so-and-so passed out, which is fine. And, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not losing my mind over it. I just, you know, chuckle and then get another person on the on the, on the the hose, right? But it's not until women have to face these decisions on their front doorstep, which would be a biological male showering next to you in your showers and sleeping above or below you. Cause you know, we have the, the birthing with three, three uh, racks high and changing next to you and all that stuff. So that's basically what it is. Like, just like the rest of society, uh, everyone wants to believe all these things about like the border and all that stuff, but no one wants to have the, the migrants at their, you know, living next door or are in front of them. You know, they want them, that's why, you know, a lot of uh, like a lot of Greg Abbott sh- is shipping uh, migrants to liberal cities because he's trying to make a point that, hey, like you guys have all these theories and stuff about migrants and how we should treat them. But you're saying that because it's not your problem right now. It's my problem. So and it, and it applies across the, the board to all wokeism and liberalism. Oh, yeah. It's no surprise that the biggest proponents of it, of this stuff, it's a, it's like actually like elite or elites that are sheltered from this. They live in gated communities or in type of living arrangements where they don't have to interact with a lot of the riffraff that comes through like mass migration or like the freaks they unleash. More often than not, it's it's a very calculated political move where they allow these type of people to to rampage to hurt most of like the working class because that's like the enemy, the chuds, the white working class, and other people that are considered white adjacent are the people that these types of elites want yeah, to harass. Yeah, the people that keep hurt. everything running, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it boils down to in a lot of these political disputes. Were you pretty vocal about some of these? woke changes in the Navy or did you just kept keep your head down for the most part? Uh, yeah, I kept my head down. I don't, you know, I was, I was not a high enough rank to speak up or anything. Basically the things, the biggest thing I was dealing with, you know, was my workload. 
there's a lot of mental illness uh, in a job like this, very stressful. So there's a lot of mental illness. I just wanted to make sure my friends were okay and that I was okay. So I kind of just dealt with it. And the woke policies started, really started around 2016 with the integration of trans people and all that stuff. And what it really was, was just very unfair. So, and you just have to take it. You have, you just have to accept like, Hey, this is, this is what the military is. Obviously it got, it's no longer a thing. Like I think, Three, six, three to six months afterwards, it got the policy got you know canned, but basically it was like the military or people could use the military's option of having one elective surgery to transition while they were in the military. So if you were a biological male, biological female, you could change genders using your free elective surgery that the military gives you. So basically, tax dollars. That other people would, you know, like I would use it for LASIK or someone else would use it for, you know, maybe like some other surgery. Useful stuff. Yeah, like get rid of something, like maybe a, a big wart on your back. You know, most guys use it for for LASIK um, eye surgery. So and LASIK eye surgery, you're out for like two weeks max because, you know, your eyes are recovering. And even then you can recover faster than that. Um, and you can still do stuff. You, you can't operate a reactor, but, you know, you can still do paperwork. You can still train and, you know, keep keep up with your duties besides that. But like, if you're transitioning, that takes months of recovery. So you basically sign a contract and you can't fulfill your contract because you're recovering from surgery and all that stuff. And not only that, you're probably going to change your name. You're probably going to change your last name. You're probably going to change a lot of things on paper. So basically you're, it's almost disingenuous in that you're using taxpayer money and serving the country as a way to get your free surgery. Right. And then you could, depending on the length of your contract, let's say it takes like, you know, a year of surgeries or, you know, six months of surgeries, you'll probably be recovering half the time. Then you'll, your contract is two years. You spent almost 50% of your contracts in surgeries and not serving the Navy, you know? So how does that going to look like to the rest of the military? You know, like guys and gals that are like working the whole time and, you know, and then someone comes in. And uses, you know, the military just for their surgery, never shows up, is taking up a slot. So the big Navy doesn't see that, you know, there's a personnel issue, even even though everyone else is working harder for them. So, yeah, it's very unfair. So that was the biggest thing is a lot of a lot of people thought it was unfair. Oh, yeah. It's like the most like degenerative form of individualism when you think about it, because in an institution like the military, you don't want people to be getting like special treatment or somebody that just like bogs everything down when you need like an esprit de corps to like have your institutioning like running on all cylinders. That stuff is just like so socially uncalibrated and just like destructive. And the fact that it's now becoming institutionalized, like that it's stuff that should get people like freaking scared. Yeah. It, it destroys morale. And even then, no, not even the not even the woke stuff, like there would be times where certain people get treated better just because, you know, obviously there's undue relationships with leadership. So if a girl was buddy really close um, to leadership and then you saw her kind of like shoot up through the ranks really fast and you saw how, how like all the leadership treated her better, you know, at first you're like, okay, well, you know, I don't care, you know, I have whatever. But then after a while you see like, you know, like I've been working just as hard as her and she's already up for this promotion and I'm not. And I'm like, 
I don't, she's not anything, you know, if she was super smart or had a reputation for being very intelligent or very hard work, something, you know, to at least be like, okay, well, she's super smart and that's not the case, then, you know, it's not like you're going to like indict her and be like, oh, you know, she's just doing favors for the leadership. But at the same time, it's gonna, you're going to be like, hmm, like that, you know, that's weird that, you know, I'm a fully qualified reactor operator and I'm, you know, I had to grind all the way to get my, you know, my E5 promotion. And then you showed up in the shit with a lower rank than me and you're a secretary basically. And I've seen you flirting with like high level, you know, high level people. And you've almost gotten in trouble with flirting for high level people. And you're the same rank as me now, you know, and I got to the shit before you. So that, see that stuff like that makes you question. And that's really demoralizing. You know, you, you laugh about it, but it's it's demoralizing in the long run, and that's what we're doing to young sailors and and all that stuff. And especially the woke policies just it just makes it worse because now now you have to deal with a new problem, which is people with you know, an arguable mental disorder. I look at them as a collective, but individually, like two doors down here in Dallas, there, there's a trans, uh, I think, male to female, and she's nice, like. You know, like I see her, I say good morning, I say hello. I don't treat her like below me or above me. I'm just another person, you know. And but like when we coddle this kind of like stuff, the people have to pay is 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 me, is us, is like guys that are just trying to like rank up, go home, work, and just live a normal life. And now we have another thing piled on. To, now we have to deal with, you know, and it's just really unfair. Really, it's demoralizing. During your time, um, as you were like winding down in the Navy, did you witness any people just like throw in the towel and just stop like really putting in any productive effort after all these like woke policies started to become like more and more institutionalized? I didn't see much uh, because, you know, it's just like the way it was is like uh, the work ethic for us was like you didn't, there was no space to be lazy. You know, there was a lot of repercussions as a nuke. If you were lazy, didn't qualify, didn't do your job. There is, you know, as compared to the rest of the Navy, because personnel, the military put so much money into training you, like half each person in the each nuke is, is like half a million dollars in training uh, that they spend on you, the taxpayer spends. So the leadership makes sure that they get as much out of you as they can. But I would say the people that, kind of like were the most scared and shook up by these policies were the women. They were the ones that were like, had the most questions that were worried. They were the ones that kind of like um, said that if this happens, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be showering next to a man, a biological male. And I feel like if this policy would have been, would have happened and there would have been a female, a male in the showers with, with the women a lot of women would have quit on the spot. I can almost guarantee you the the attitude that they would have, it would have been a shitstorm for sure. It would have been crazy because for me as a man, like I don't feel threatened by a male to female sleeping next to me. Right. I don't feel threatened at all. It's more for me. It's more, it's just weird. And then I have, you know, like we, it's just strange. And I'm sure we can get used to it, but like a male to female with even half the testosterone of a normal, healthy man, is still kind of strange and possibly dangerous. Not saying that, you know, that men are bad if we're put in this situation, but 
it's it's still not the best idea to do that because it's going to cause problems, you know, like it's going to cause problems. I don't care how how hopeful you are of human behavior, but it's going to cause problems. So I I overall I didn't see much when this because we were already, you know, in crunch time. We didn't really have the the space to be lazy. But I would guarantee you that if this policy went through, the, there would be a lot of mass quitting from women and women would not sign up for the military. Oh, yeah. This social experiment that is being imposed on us, uh, society writ large, is going to have some very devastating consequences in the long term. And yeah, I think that this is going to be looked back by historians as probably one of the biggest self-owned policy-wise. Now, you eventually left the Navy. Was your decision mostly just because you were um, you found greener pastures in the uh, private sector, or was it partially motivated by like how woke it was starting to become? It's several factors. So yeah, all that comes into play. Um, I realized like as a guy, as a nuke, if you're not super intelligent and super willing to really work all the time, it's not really worth it. I had better opportunities outside. I wanted a normal life so that, you know, there's that. Also, the way the politics in the military, at least for my side, was very, you know, obviously gynocentric, very femme-centric, you know, girls were coddled and we had to protect them. You know, it's still the same as the outside, pretty much. The only thing is that when there was consequences that had to be introduced for people that aren't used to those consequences, you know, coddled people, a lot of uh, a lot of women have never dealt with, you know, someone telling them like, hey, you got caught doing this. You're going to go face the captain and he's going to bust on your rank. And then those people face the consequences of their action and then they get their consequences. Right. But the amount of people who got consequences and blamed everyone else except themselves, you know, we had a we had a female like we had a female who was nice to me in in person. But behind my back, she would backstab me and I never disrespected her. I always did what she needed of me. She wasn't a higher rank than me. She just had a you know a positional authority for some some job that she had. Right. Like uh, scheduling maintenance. Right. So if she said, hey, you, you got this this day, I'd be like, OK, yeah, I got it. And if I couldn't do it, I'd, you know, I'd present her like, hey, I can't do this. this day. Let's, let's talk. But she got caught. My best friend caught her making out with my my chief, my boss. And I and I liked my chief. He was a great guy. You know, it's sad because he was hardworking, super smart, very well liked, handsome guy like this guy could have, you know, had it all. But he decided to that he was lonely. And then he, you know, he checked up with this girl. He got caught. My best friend caught him making out in a, in a fitness room in the on the ship. And he was a high enough rank where they were like, okay, you know, he's busted his, his ass his whole life. Let's send him to another command. Right. And then she got, you know, she wasn't high enough rank to get that kind of like that court of public opinion. Like, okay. So she got rank busted down and she got, you know, all these punishments. She got kept. Uh, she went to Camp's Mass. And after that, she went on a uh, she went and tried to destroy my friends who caught her uh, reputation. So she did reputation destruction. Um, she tried to have people take her side, even though, you know, there was really nothing to go off of. She also became really bitchy and hard to work with. She got her job. She got taken away. So she just became a nobody. 
So all that stuff you have to still deal with because now you're working with someone who's bitter and angry because they can't accept the things for their actions. And that's basically wokeism in, in, a, in a nutshell because you can tell people what, you know, like, hey, don't do this because that'll be dumb or don't do that. And I'm sure that my chief, he probably said, damn, I'm, I messed up. Like, damn, I had a good career in front of me. Oh, well, I guess I'll just accept it and go to my command and uh, my new command and, you know, just deal with what I did. And then, but, you know, on the on the the female side, it was just like everyone's at fault except me. It's not real. I didn't actually do it. And I'm like, yes, you did. And again, it's like a luxury belief where this absolution of responsibility and to just throw it on people who are willing to set themselves on fire just so someone else can have a surgery for, you know, to be another gender it, within the military, the military, the point of the military is to, to defend the homeland, to attack our enemies. You know, like my, my captain said, bring destruction and hellfire on our enemies. That's what the military is about. So when, when uh, Secretary Mattis, um, he put out another bulletin or a letter to the, to the military, he said that he basically, hey, th- this, this policy is going to like really slow us down in terms of operation. It's going to get us, you know, distracted. Let's hold off on this for now. If you want to join the military as a trans person, you get your surgeries and you get your stuff before. You know, that, that has nothing to do with us. Yeah, and even then, I don't think even that, I don't even think they were even letting trans people join the military because of the female, you know, living quarters issue. Oh, so I'm just curious. I want to go back to the point of, like, this chick and how she betrayed you. Could you give, like a few examples of how she would do that because I'm actually really curious about that. Yeah. So she was cool gal in the beginning. She was hardworking, smart. Um, and then over time she became more, more, uh, bitchy and, you know, kind of like more on her high horse. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't have time for this. So I didn't really pay attention. And then over time, and this is a common theme in the military. Every guy's a story where a girl gets really heavily favored. They ignore it because you're like, no, I'm, I'm not that type of guy. I'm not going to be bitter about this. You know, I'm, I'm going to stay in my own lane. And then they realize, like, holy crap, like, this this is, this is sucks. This girl's, you know, this girl's on a power trip. So everyone started noticing that her and my boss, my chief, were, like, buddy-buddy, really close, watching movies together in our little um, entertainment game room. She would ask favors from him, and then he, he would do them, which is really, it looks really bad. Because when a high-ranking person does favor for a lower-ranking person... It's like, hmm, you know, something's up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they would hang out together in Liberty Ports when we were overseas. So people already started suspecting. People were like, okay, we know that like, there's something there, but we're going to ignore it because all we care about is going home and, and being with their families. That's all we're focused on. And then um, over time, I got switched to another work center because of manning issues. And, you know, my reputation was that I was very like... I was like a maverick. I was like, whatever needs to get done, I'll get done. It may not be in the way you want, but I'll get it done. So a lot of the leadership accepted that, you know, and if there there was an issue on my paperwork and she would call me out on it, what would happen? And and I got confirmation of this. I would go to the office. She said, hey, can you fix this in a very polite manner? You know, and I'm like, sure. So I sit down and fix it. Is there anything else you need? She's like, no, not for now. Thank you. And then as soon as I leave, she would be like, oh, you know, so-and-so is messing up the paperwork again. He sucks, blah, blah, blah. Next day, she called me and, hey, I need, I really need you to do this for me. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll pull through for you. And then that, that's like the dynamic. 
And the reason that happens because when people get special treatment from someone that's high up, they get they get on this power trip, right? And the power trip was basically I'm better than all the people that do things for me and and within my position. And I, you know, I am a person that I'm not, you know, I I had I had steel frame at the time in the military, so she could be mean and bad to me all she wanted. But at the end of the day, like, I wasn't going to let it affect me. So she got caught. All that happened, went down. My best friend caught her, and he was shocked. He was a good guy, but he just caught her. He's just like, hey, this is BS. You know, like, this is not fair, you know. So she went on a campaign to ruin everyone's reputation, to ruin his reputation, saying that he cheated on his uh, wife, which wasn't true, that he uh, was trying to only say that to get her position, all this stuff. And, yeah, she stuck by that till she left the military. And she left an angry, bitter woman. And instead of just accepting the consequences for her actions, she really made it everyone's problem. And, you know, the military is a lot about ownership and just owning your mistakes, owning, you know, your your shortcomings and all that stuff. But if we're, when we introduce wokeism and just lack of responsibility and all that stuff, whether it be a day-to-day interaction with, you know, a gynocentric military um, or just introducing woke policies, the responsibility is always going to be on the people like the regular guys that are, you know, hardworking that just want to get it done so they can go to bed or just want to have everyone to have an easier life on board. So they're going to do their part or, you know, helping out, you know, helping out their buddies coming through for people. Those are the people that get it, the get it the worst, right? Because those people will always be the ones to say yes and that's the problem with with the you know like the conservatives and all that stuff now is that they're willing to continue to put up with the responsibility and the repercussions of like the luxury beliefs and treatment of people that don't really deserve to get treated well or you know just this distortion of reality so oh yeah <laughs> pretty crazy stuff there man yeah, pretty much a sneak preview of the clown world state that we're going to continue to live in unless there is a massive course correction. Before we depart, I imagine that you still have contacts in the Navy and other branches of the military. What are people, those people that are still serving, um, telling you about how things are going in the military these days? Well... A lot of my friends are already out, but a couple of them stayed in through the pandemic. And they said the pandemic in the military was really very strange time. Like they didn't pull into any ports during the pandemic. They weren't allowed to go home during the pandemic. That was very sad because I, I learned that there were ships that were circling right off the coast. If I'm not mistaken, right off the coast of the United States. And imagine being out to sea for months on end you haven't seen your family and because of covid policies or you know hysteria you can see the shores but you can you can't go home and the reason there's no real scientific reason for that so that i guess what could be seen as like more of a liberal woke policy as the conservatives were the one mostly pushing for normal normalcy again but for the stories that they told me after i left again it's it's propping up women just because they were women looking the other way for just, I don't know what the woke policies are now. I'm going to guess that 
I'm going to guess that they're really pushing the trans stuff now. I haven't looked into it. Um, and they're going to push it maybe in a different way, in a different set of policies. Or there's loopholes now for it. But I can say that right now the military is probably, as a, as a young man, will probably be really difficult to navigate right now. As if you're just a normal guy that just wants to get the job done and go home, you know, at the end of the day. Yep, that sounds just about right. Well, there's not much we can really do. You can raise awareness and whatnot, but there are bigger fishes to fry on an individual level. But it's always good for people to like stand up to this stuff. But always remember what you have like most under your control is like your wealth, health, and like the type of relationships you have with people in your vicinity. Correct. You have to set your own standards and uh, and boundaries. And then kind of like not accept certain things. Like I always always tell the guys that were complaining a lot in the military, like you guys are complaining, but the only reason it's like this is because you guys keep re-enlisting, you know, um, for money, right? When it, the, the military only get better when people stop enlisting. And then what they'll do is they'll throw a lot of money at people to get, you know, but also... For example, we had a time where a lot of people would quit, like mental hospital. Every month we had someone check into the mental hospital and stuff. So the, the leadership kind of went into a, kind of went into a, uh, they kind of freaked out. They're like, hey, we're losing personnel. This is crazy. So what they did is they just started treating people better, you know, giving them breaks. And it worked. You know, people qualified, people were showing up to work on time, you know, and then simple, like simply... Everything has a limit. I know right now it doesn't look like it looks like especially men will will continue to take this forever. But like there's going to be a limit. There's going to be a limit where it's going to be like enough is enough, you know, and there's going to be some some kind of event. It may not be. It may not be this year. It may not be in five years, but there's going to be a day where they're going to be enough, you know, and I hopefully it's peaceful. But I, you know, just like I saw in the military when people when that. When that policy got introduced, the women, like my, the female chiefs, the, you know, the higher ranking enlisted were like yelling across the room in that meeting. Like, you know, like, so they're just going to be able to shower with, with women, like, you know, all that, like just yelling, you know, they were, they were livid. They were angry. Like the the men were quiet. We were just like, oh, that's weird. But like the women were the ones really mad. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's a luxury beliefs. And, and then one day, you know, this People are going to get tired, but I just don't know when. We don't know when, but they're going to get tired one day. Yeah, there's going to be a reaction. Um, it's only going to be a matter of time because there's much more information out here. And despite all the censorship that the powers that be are trying to impose on like the dissident right and other people, there is just too much momentum on our side. And it eventually it will manifest itself in a reaction, which I believe will go down sometime in our lifetime. But yeah, man, let's um wind this down. As always, Nuke, this was a fantastic uh, conversation and you seem to be putting out content left and right these days. For those of my audience who haven't fully caught up with your work, could you tell them where they can stay tuned to your latest updates? Yeah, so guys, uh, I'm active on uh, Twitter. So... Twitter.com slash Calillo Nuclear. Um, you guys can find me there. I, I do a lot of uh, posting on intersexual dynamics. I go on a lot with uh, guys from like Rule Zero, the Red Pill and all that stuff. 
Um, I try to clear up any doubts about the red pill intersexual dynamics, dating, and, you know, try to stay ahead of, of the craziness that is dating, relationships, cut through the BS and give, give especially younger guys, the truth. And the truth is not always bad and it's not always good. The truth is the truth. You know, a lot of guys want it to be one way or the other. They want, they want women to be these perfect little angels, which that the fan, the Disney fantasy of, you know, women being perfect little angels and they're always right, which bleeds over to like, you know, like work, military and all that stuff. And also there's the other side, which is the, the doomer black pill where like everything is, you know, women are absolute whores it's better to just be alone and go your own way. So it's neither, right? And then I'm also active. Obviously, there's my YouTube channel, which is the same, uh, youtube.com slash at sign Calillo Nuclear. And I put out like dating philosophies and, and talks with people and we discuss in a smart way. I try not to be too bombastic with red pill content because it's what's killing the message. And uh, young guys are looking for solutions, you know, like they're tired of the entertainment side of intersexual and dating um, shows and stuff and, and the red meat stuff they kind of want like okay well at the end of the day I want to get laid I want a girlfriend I want to get married I want to stay married I want to you know I want to win I want to win I want to be able to navigate life and win so that's what my content focuses on and that's basically where you guys can find me fantastic stuff man um, thank you again for dropping by uh, this show and to everybody who tuned in Thank you for your generous attention. And with that, El Nino has spoken.